today I want to talk about a topic that's pretty close to my life experience, which is being a child of immigrant parents, the shared experiences that we have as immigrant children. Then I want to go into topics around cultural identity and assimilation versus being a third culture individual. And then finally closing off with what it's like to be an adult now having that childhood immigrant experience and how our views may change over time. So my personal immigrant story is that I was born in India, but we left as a family to Australia when I was very young. And I grew up in Australia, Canada, and the US, so outside of India. So while I am actually an immigrant myself, since I left when I was a child and was born in India, I actually feel that I have more of the experience as a child of immigrants because I obviously grew up outside of the country in which I was born. Now, everyone who had an immigrant experience as a child, I want you to imagine the number one theme that you had in your childhood. I'm very curious because I do think we have a lot of shared experiences. So my number one theme was trying to fit in. I was aware at a very young age, just like many children immigrants are, that something was different about me. I looked different. I was a visible minority. We didn't grow up in communities where I had a lot of people that looked like me. So I stood out in that way. But also my family was different. Our background was different. There's actually a finding of a new study by Duke University researchers showing that by their third birthday, children are more likely to go along with what others say or do just for the sake of fitting in with the group and following along, even if that contradicts what their personal preferences are, which is really astonishing that even as a three-year-old, we want to fit in with the do's and don'ts of society and heed to the unwritten rules. And that becomes problematic when you're you know, new to a country and you don't yet know the unwritten rules and the culture is unfamiliar to you. Like even as simple as what do you say or do when someone sneezes? And of course, the worst part is that children are children. So there may be some bullying that comes with being different, you know, looking different, acting different and not knowing how to conform. Going along the theme of the differences that become very apparent to you, you start to realize as a kid that your parents have different rules and expectations than the parents of your friends. Regardless of whether you had strict immigrant parents or not, I did not. Mine were um, very open-minded and and pretty chill for the most part. But even then, there were rules that they had that in the beginning, when they first moved to a new country, they really wanted to enforce because of their own understanding of what was right or wrong or what was acceptable or not. An example of that for me is that I was not allowed sleepovers as a kid. And this was around the age of like 10, 11, where all of the girlfriends and my friend group were having sleepovers. And my parents could not wrap their head around why one would go to someone else's house to sleep when you have like a perfectly good bed here. It just wasn't something that they like were aware of. And I think they also were concerned because they didn't really know the parents of my friend group yet. We were new to this town. And so they were from a safety standpoint concerned about it. And, you know, I totally can empathize and understand that now. But as a kid, it was like, oh my gosh, like how can I explain to my friends that I'm not allowed to have a sleepover? Another example I hear often is being allowed to or not allowed to use technology. I mean, nowadays, with social media, I'm not sure how well it would be enforced. But when we were young, it was, you know, not having a TV, not having a computer. I didn't have a computer until I was in high school. And that was like a shared computer. And it wasn't actually because we couldn't afford one. It was just my parents were like, this is, we don't need you to be on a computer. And same thing with the TV. Growing up, we really didn't have a TV. We had like a very small one with like a antenna little bunny ears that picked up like two channels and so you know we, we we never had like cable and the tv was just not really a huge part of my childhood and I totally 
like I'm really grateful that my parents did that now looking back because it allowed us to really be kids and play outside and develop friendships and we weren't like glued to a screen or you know addicted to video games and so I can understand now where they were coming from because to them you know they are here to give their kids a better life and they're here to give their family a better life and the idea of sitting in front of a screen just didn't make sense to them. I want to unpack later on kind of what's going through the mind of the parent and the fears that they have but going along the theme right now of the different shared experiences that we might have. A big one that's a shared experience is your name and anyone listening to this who has a hard to pronounce or uncommon name is like yeah yeah. Let me take you back to school attendance when a substitute teacher, God forbid, was roll calling attendance and they get to your name and you just hold your breath because they're going to say it wrong. They're going to say it wrong. And then some of the other kids are going to laugh because it's so funny that they said your name wrong. And anytime you introduce yourself to a new person, the person repeats your name back five different ways, all of which are wrong. And you're sort of like, you know what? Call me Minute if that's what you want. That's totally fine. We laugh about it now, but your name is such a huge part of your identity. And if you feel embarrassment or shame around your name, that has to impact your identity and the way that you think of yourself and the way that you feel. I'll speak personally. I wanted nothing more than to have a very common and simple name. Like I would write down in my diary names that you know, you can just imagine like the top five most common names in North America. I would like write those names down and be like, oh, if only that was my name, it would make my life so much easier, so much better. And without getting too dark, I would do the same thing for my appearance, you know, and for even my skin color, because as a kid, you're, you don't think about it in a way that this is like who you are. You just think about it like this is what makes me different. And I don't like being different. One of the podcasts that I listen to pretty regularly is Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard and Monica Padman. And I have to say, when I first listened to um, an episode, Monica was sharing some stories about her childhood. And it was the first time where I had this aha moment that what she explained being her childhood was exactly how I felt in my childhood. And some of the experiences that she had were the exact experiences that I had in high school. And it made me feel so seen and so heard. And you might be thinking like, Manette, of course, you're not alone. You're not the first child of immigrants. Like, of course, you're going to have shared experiences. But it was so powerful because at least for me, I don't have a lot of um, Indian friends. I didn't grow up in places that were predominantly um, Indian. And so when he, I never really internalized that some of the things that I went through were the same things that other um, children of immigrants who were Indian went through. And so when she shared those experiences, it was just like, I almost was like tearing up. And that is why I want to start with the shared experiences of being a child of immigrants, um, because I think it it just really opens your eyes and you realize like all of the things that you were insecure about as a kid, all of the pain that you went through, someone else probably went through that too. And it not only makes you feel less alone, but it's just kind of like, yeah, this is something that happens. And then when you see someone who's so accomplished, like Monica is, it just kind of makes you go like, wow. But another experience was, oh my gosh, Slumdog Millionaire, that movie. 
Monica describes how her she went to see the movie with her friends and how everyone was like, is that what being in India is like? Is that what your family's from? Slumdog Millionaire is about the slums of Mumbai. And so, you know, she's like sinking into her chair. And I had the same experience. And I was I was like, how do I be less Indian? And with experiences like that, where people are categorizing you and your family into a certain stereotype that has a negative connotation makes you just want to push away your heritage so far i wanted to be anything but indian in the moment where everyone was associating me with slumdog millionaire i i wanted to be like ew no that's not you know like you just can't you almost feel like embarrassed for all of your people and it's really intense and it's also really sad because obviously it's not true. You can't categorize an entire people into, you know, one movie or one profession or one stereotype. When you hear your peers talking about your family or who you are, your heritage in a certain way, it does something to the way that you think about yourself and those insecurities can pile up and really develop. And we're going to talk later about how to unpack that in adulthood but if you've if any of this resonates with you um giving you a big hug because it's not easy one of the sort of stereotypes of immigrants in general but certainly children of immigrants is the work ethic the doctor lawyer engineer what are you going to become the your parents must push you so hard you must you know da 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 And yeah, studies do show that there is upward economic mobility for immigrants, typically, especially of immigrants from certain backgrounds. And of course, it's true that there are, you know, immigrant parents who put a lot of pressure on their kids to do well in school. There's a heavy emphasis on academic excellence, on education, and on finding a stable job, because obviously, as an immigrant, that's what you want for your children. So if your emphasis is on academic excellence, a stable job, you know, a stable future, if you want to pursue the creative arts or be an artist or some other non-traditional profession, best of luck to you. Your parents might not understand that. I know the stereotype is that, you know, this is one way pressure coming from a parent to the child, but I want to offer a different perspective here because I didn't experience that. My parents were very hands-off in that regard. They didn't really ever push me academically or try to persuade me to do one profession or the other. I know it's ironic that I became a lawyer in the end, but my brother's a doctor, even though they didn't push us and they didn't put pressure on us. There is no doubt in my mind that we, my brother and I as young kids, recognized that our parents have been working so hard, obviously had made so many sacrifices for us. We could see that. And as a kid, you internalize that. No one has to tell you to work hard. You see it every single day and you see the sacrifice and you see the hard work and you see the pain sometimes. And you internalize that. And I think that is what propels you to work hard and to want something really excellent for your life. There's just the sense of like, you didn't do all this for nothing. And I want you to feel like I'm going to be okay. You don't have to worry about your kids anymore. Another pretty common shared experience is around appearance. So what you're allowed to wear or not wear, are you allowed to 
you know, shave your legs, um, groom your face, pluck your unibrow, dye your hair, cut your hair. Um, all of these things to do with your appearance can be hot topics in immigrant families. And, you know, on the one hand, I can totally see it from a parent's perspective. You're 12 years old. Why do you need to be doing all these things right now? You should just be a kid. But on the other hand, if you're 12 years old with a unibrow and kids are making fun of you, that's a really hard thing to deal with if your parents don't understand that. Now that we've gone through a number of shared experiences, I want to go into a little bit of the cultural identity piece of things because we've talked a lot about your experience as a child. When you're a teenager or a young adult, you're really fighting a lot of things. Standard baseline, this is a time where, you know, as a teen, as a young adult, you're trying to form your own identity. You're trying to navigate through, you know, who you are, what you stand for, what your values are. And the cultural identity formation for an immigrant child is often a process of negotiating and constructing identities, but also incorporating both heritage and culture from your you know, past culture and your new culture that you've been exposed to. At this point, you might be living on your own as a young adult, or you might have some independence and you're no longer completely under the care of your parents. So you kind of get to decide what do you believe in? What cultural aspects do you want to incorporate into your life? And here emerges a pretty interesting concept, um, the third culture individual or third culture kid, which are people who are raised in a culture other than their parents or the culture of their nationality and also live in a different environment during a significant part of their child development year. So third culture kids often move between cultures before they've had the opportunity to fully develop their own personal and cultural identity. The first culture of these individuals is the culture of the country from which their parents originated. The second culture refers to the culture in which their family currently resides. And the third culture refers to the distinct cultural ties among all third cultural individuals that share no connection to those first two cultures. Personally, I could not resonate, relate to this more when I read this because I think the story of my young adulthood has been grappling with and trying to figure out what my identity is, what my culture is. I know for a lot of us immigrant children who have moved around a lot and been exposed to many cultures, we often don't feel like we fit in or belong with our home country or our parents' culture because we didn't really grow up in that culture. And while we might really appreciate some of the values and traditions, it's very clear that we don't quite fit in there. But as we've talked about, we also don't quite fit into the culture in which we grew up. For a number of reasons, we are different. And so now we're in this in-between where we're not quite fitting into any one place. And it's very tricky to navigate, too, because there are these wider cultural forces happening depending on the country in which you immigrated to. So you may have heard of the melting pot theory or the salad bowl theory. The melting pot uh, theory or analogy is where individuals are sort of expected to give up their cultural traditions and adopt to the dominant culture of the society in which they live. Whereas the salad bowl theory suggests that different cultures exist separately and maintain their distinct cultural identities within a society. 
it's really interesting because I grew up in Australia, Canada, and the U.S. And I do think each of those countries has a different approach to how they handle cultural integration of immigrants. It does really start at the top. Like if your country says that, hey, multiculturalism is part of the fabric of our nation. It's part of our culture. It's what makes us who we are. Like we welcome our immigrants. Then you have a certain experience. And then if you grow up in a country where it's not really about that, it's about, hey, you are now part of this country. So you're going to take on the cultural identity of this country, which is more of that melting pot theory versus the salad bowl theory where everyone's allowed to have kind of their own spaces. And a lot of this is subtle. It's not like there's laws that explain all of this, but it's the experience that you have, which I don't think that if you're not an immigrant, you'd really pick up on. So that too informs at the individual level, whether you want to take on the cultural identity of your family or if you maybe want to abandon that entirely and take on the cultural identity of the new country that you live in. I want to now move to the experience as an adult because my experience now with my cultural background, the perspective I have now is so different than when I was younger. So going full circle to one of the first things we talked about, which is the differences and the things that we really hated as kids about ourselves. To be fully honest with you, those are all things that I celebrate and love now as an adult. And that logic was something that wasn't accessible to me as a kid, which I think is really fair. I was even um, talking to some neighbors and cousins of mine who are more Gen Z, and it made me smile so big because it really sounds like Gen Z celebrates differences. Now, obviously, I'm making a stereotype here, but these are, you know, young teenagers and um, young adults and they're, you know, like, yeah, no, we want to have, you know, we want to wear our langas and our cultural clothes to prom. Like the idea of wearing an Indian dress to prom, I would never at that age. And now like I see that these girls are doing that and celebrating it and as they should. I mean, those are stunning dresses. So I really hope that the tides are turning a little bit. I imagine it's not 100% because kids are going to be kids and you still want, you know, acceptance from your peers, which just naturally starts to become less important as you develop your own identity and have self-assurance and self-confidence and self-love as you get older. But along with that, not only just like the physical differences that we can now celebrate, there's also the experiences that we had, you know, whether you had strict parents or you had um, a home environment that was very different than your peers. It kind of you can now as an adult realize how much resilience that builds in you and how much you had to kind of learn how to have an internal dialogue that is super helpful for you as an adult. One example for me is like, you know, because I moved around so much as a kid, I developed an ability to kind of connect with people from all different backgrounds and maintain a pretty open mind of different cultures. So when I, you know, was in college and I got an opportunity to move to DC and then later to law school, et cetera, all of these, you know, big moves that I was doing by myself, it I was, you know, really excited about it. I didn't really feel the nerves because I had this experience of constantly being in new cultures and new places and trying to adapt. The key is, though, as an adult, you adapt to the things you want to adapt to, but you don't sacrifice 
who you are and you don't sacrifice um, your authenticity. Like that word I've always used to hear, like be true to yourself, be your authentic self. And as a young kid or as a young adult, I didn't even, I was like, I don't know what my authentic self is. Like I'm still trying to figure that out. And I think as you get older, you naturally start to realize like, oh no, there are themes about what I believe in, what I stand for. And I can still bring that into a work environment, let's say as an adult, while still adapting and assimilating to the cultural norms of the place that I'm now part of. I'll share one personal experience as an adult. So I hadn't been back to India in like 15 years and I went back um, in 2022 with my family. So it was the most wonderful and like life-changing experience because I was able to see my heritage and my background for all of the beauty and intricacy that it was. And it really reframed, you know, all of those um narratives that I had in my head about what it meant to be Indian when I was a kid and replace them with all the things as an adult that I really appreciate. If you have the opportunity as, um, you know, now as an adult to go back to the culture that your parents are from and to see where they grow up and to see like the towns or the cities where they lived in, it's really just brings you full circle and I think can give you so much perspective that you didn't have when you were younger. Which brings me to the really key piece in adulthood, which is having compassion and empathy for your parents. No matter what your relationship is with your parents now, I hope it's a good one. But I think you can really try to put yourself in the position of your parents. You know, when my parents were 30, they had two young kids and they had immigrated to a new country and were working these jobs and studying and doing all these things. I am 30 with one job and stability and my own apartment and like no kids. And if you told me today, hey, you have to pack up with two young kids and move to a new country where you don't speak the language and don't know the norms, best of luck. I mean, I can't even imagine what they had to go through. When you think about it from that perspective, it makes a lot more sense as to why they were so strict when we were younger, because they're in this new society that they're not super familiar with. So they don't know what's going to happen if they let you do X, Y, and Z. And they could be rightfully so fearful that things could go wrong. Now, if they raised you in the society that they were familiar with, maybe things would be different. And let's not forget, can you imagine as a parent feeling like you can't connect with your kid because they're growing up in a different culture? A way for your parents to connect with you is by saying, hey, do this thing. This is part of our culture. Go to this holiday. Go to you know this you know religious service or whatever, like trying to push you back into that culture because they want to be able to connect with you and they want to make sure you have the same values that they had that they believe in. Now, of course, there are good ways of doing this and bad ways of doing this. But again, like now as adults, hopefully we can hold some space and compassion and be like, well, they did the best with the information that they had. So I think as adults, having compassion for our younger selves and what we went through, recognizing how resilient we were and how sometimes those experiences are our greatest superpower and also having compassion for our parents and their experience is one of the things that you know, I don't want to say like helps you heal as if this was like the most traumatic event, but really at least helps you reconcile all of these different experiences that you've had. One of the great things about being a third culture kid and being a child of immigrants is that you now as an adult have permission to pick and choose what you like. You can pick from your previous culture, your parents' culture, and pull out the things that you find to be really beautiful and compelling. And then you can also pick from your current culture. 
So I think that's kind of the silver lining at the end of the day for us. And honestly, it's just really cool when you realize that you have access to this whole other rich culture that you can tap into and learn from. And that's something that's really special and it's an asset to you. So I'll end on that positive note that we are so lucky to have multiple cultures that we can tap into. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this. I hope you found it helpful and some of it resonated with you. I'd like to leave you with this poem by Rupi Carr, which kind of capsulates this experience. It goes as follows. They have no idea what it's like to lose home at the risk of never finding home again, to have your entire life split between two lands and become the bridge between two countries. Mm.